So I am excited to uh, start walking through a new series with you this week, Let Your Light Shine, based on Jesus saying that you are the light of the world and you can't let that light be hidden. Um, so we're going to walk through this more practically, uh, maybe than we've done in recent years. And here's, here's, what I, here's my theory. My theory is that most of us in this room believe that the world needs more light. We're grateful for the light we've received, uh, what Jesus has done in our lives. We want other people to experience that, uh, but we're kind of left with this question like, how? How do, I, how do I bring it up? How do I talk to people about that? If I do get into a conversation about spiritual things with someone who's not a Christian or they're not familiar with any of this, like, how do I even begin? There's so much to unpack. Where would I start? So my prayer, my hope, is that in the next five weeks, you'll find the answer to that question as we open up God's Word together, as we study not just the idea that we ought to be sharing our faith and shining our light, but how do we actually do it? Okay, so I want to begin this whole series with a really, really difficult question to answer. You ready? What is your favorite crime show. Now, there's lots of these, right? Um, so you can, uh, in your mind's eye, go way back. I mean, the, uh, you know, you've got the classics like CSI. You've got uh, Blue Bloods. You've got Hawaii Five-0. There's all sorts of shows out there based on the premise of, you know, someone commits a crime and then some sort of squad or department or group of detectives or whatever, they get into the action and they figure out who's guilty and they test the spit that decomposed in the mud and they figure out the DNA and suddenly in less than a half an hour, they've solved a crime that in real life probably takes years to figure out. Um, and it's just fun to watch those, right? Um, my grandpa, who's since passed away, uh, he, he used to love those shows. So every Thursday night, I would go over to his house, uh, Melissa would come along as well, it was before we had any kids, and we would watch two of his favorite crime shows in a row that would happen on Thursday night. Without a Trace was one about like FBI kidnappings or something, and the other one was the classic CSI. And you know how these shows begin, you, you, like you, you start thinking it's kind of fantastic, like it's a little bit unbelievable. Because every week or every episode, they have to come up with some new and even crazier beginning to the show to make you interested enough to want to find out the ending. They can't just have like a regular theft or a, whatever a typical murder would be or whatever. It's got to be crazy stuff, right? So, uh, so sometimes you just, you, they open up the show and there's whatever, a body floating down the river and you know, all sorts of weird stuff. So there was one, my, my grandpa had this little dog that would sit on his lap and kind of like watch the TV with us. And there was one that just the opening of it was like so grotesque, like so horrible, that uh, my grandpa looked at me, he looked at his little dog, and he said, I don't think my little dog wants to watch this one. I said, thank you, thank you for getting us out of this. Let's watch anything else uh, that would be on would be better than this. And uh, so, I, I, when I think about my answer to this question, my favorite crime show, I don't know if I have like technically a favorite, to me it's any crime that's being solved in a tropical location. Uh, because I figure in like February I can watch, you know, whatever, detectives in Hawaii or Los Angeles or something, I can feel better about my northern life 
watching all the crime that's happening down south, right? Don't want to move there. Um, but it's also fun to watch the, uh, whatever, the beautiful views and everything and makes me long for different times. Uh, so for you, uh, what, uh, what show do you like watching? What crime show, if any? Uh, just for the fun of it, I want you to turn to your neighbor and give them your answer to this question, if you have an answer. Go, ahead, go, go, go for it. What, uh, what crime show? Ask them what they like the most. So all of us, as uh, if, you, if you've watched a lot of these, you might think of yourself as sort of an armchair expert in solving tough crime, right? Um, the, uh, I think we've all learned a few things from these shows, some of which are not realistic, um, and some of which might be actually the way things happen. Uh, I did ask a real police officer what show they actually like, and they said they liked Blue Bloods. So oh, that might be, maybe that's closer to real life than some of the, the super crazy ones. But um, I was thinking about how they do kind of train us in the way that we might all even think like, man, if I had to stand in court, I think I would know what to say. Because I have a whole bunch of cool one-liners from different movies and shows that obviously work on juries, right? And... Uh, so I was thinking that the, the most classic of all is probably law and order, right? Where you follow the train all the way through, the crime's committed, the, they catch the person, uh, they accuse them, you watch the attorneys haggle it all out, you, you hear the hammer come down and uh, you find out what happens. And in, in law and order, you, you usually end up, the second half of the show ends up in a courtroom and they're calling forward witnesses to explain things, Right? Um, and that would be a representation of how something that does happen in real life. If you ever are called to take the stand in a courtroom, you're going to have to, as a witness, give testimony. Right? So you might be like a forensic expert of some kind. Maybe you're the guy that actually knows how DNA composes in the mud or something, and they call you up for you to be a, you know, share what you've got. Uh, the best kind of witness is what kind? Depends on what side you are, uh, prosecution or defense, but the best kind of witness would be an eyewitness testimony that validates the story you're trying to tell, where someone else who's not related to you and not, you know, wouldn't have any interest in helping you out can point to you and go, yeah, that person didn't do it, or that person did do it. Um, that's the most powerful kind of testimony is the eyewitness kind. So I look at that and I think, well, those are two keywords that we see quite a bit of in the New Testament. And we talk about quite a bit in church, witness and testimony. A witness is someone who's seen something or knows something that needs to be shared. And so in church, we might say, like, hey, how's your witness? Or, or you might even say, would you like to go out on the street and talk to people? We'll go witnessing. Uh, testimony, we'd say, do you have a testimony to share? Now, everybody's got a testimony about all sorts of things, right? You read testimonials about every product and service that are out there, but when we're in church and we talk about your testimony, what are we usually talking about? You, like your story of becoming a Christian. How did you meet Jesus? How did you see the light? 
Um, you share your testimony, and that, that's sort of your Christian beginning story. So when I think about these two words, witness and testimony, I think, you know, these two things are actually the key for how we would shine our light to the world. Well, there's more to it than these two words, but if you're looking for step one, which is even possible to have on day one of you becoming a Christian and following Jesus, you can have a testimony based on what Jesus has done for you. So even if you know nothing else about the Bible, but you've just become a Christian, you have there a testimony. It's whatever the factors were that led you to become a Christian, that's part of that story. And the more that you bear witness to what God has done in your life, the brighter your light can shine. So we're going to look at, I think, one of the more interesting like legal quandary scenarios, a little law and order drama in the Bible. It's at the very end of the book of Acts. Okay, and it's an extended portion today, so I'd encourage you to take a Bible out from the seat bottom in front of you or pull that up on your app and read along with us, starting in Acts 25. We'll go through a little bit of 25 and then through most of 26. And the reason I want to walk through all of this is because it actually is kind of like a courtroom drama, and we find out how powerful a testimony is, a personal eyewitness testimony, how the Apostle Paul, who, who could have he could have pulled from anything, right? I mean, he was a smart guy. He could have built an amazing case in the defense of the Christian faith or something. But when the, his life was on the line and the moment of pressure came, he went to various officials and shared his story of seeing the light himself. And what we find in that is that his testimony is actually the most powerful argument, the most powerful defense of all. And as we read it, I want you to have this in the back of your mind. Even though yours might not be quite as grand and glorious as the Apostle Paul's, I don't know, maybe yours is, but as you read this, you start to realize, wait a minute, I have a testimony too. And it might be your most powerful tool to share your faith. So Acts 25, down to verse 13, here's what's going on. Paul has been arrested, and he's getting tried by various authorities. So he starts off with the Jewish Sanhedrin. That's the same crowd that crucified Jesus. That's the same crowd that was hassling Peter and John and saying, you guys can't speak anymore in Jesus' name. And they said, hey, we can't help but be witnesses to what we've seen and heard. Like, we're going to keep talking. So you have all these sparks flying, all sorts of pressure, persecution. Remember, Stephen uh, was martyred for his faith by the same group. So now Paul who used to be a part of that group, is on trial before them. But Paul had one thing that a lot of the Jews of that era did not have. Paul had Roman citizenship, which meant that he could not, it, it, like, you know, the, the, and that Jewish Sanhedrin, they could try you, they could mess with you, they could threaten you. But if you're a Roman citizen, you have access to the Roman court system. So when push came to shove, Paul mentioned that. Hey, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. He used that a few different times in his life. And, uh, and so he ends up getting transferred from the Sanhedrin over to the Roman officials. The first one was Felix. Uh, Felix, that's in chapter 24. Felix heard the story. He said, you know, I can't see, like, you guys are all crazy, but I can't, I can't see putting this guy to death for what he believes this way. It doesn't seem like that makes sense. But he was caught politically. Like, he couldn't, he couldn't make the Jews angry with him because he was overseeing them. So he just decided to hold Paul 
kind of indefinitely in prison. So Felix does that for a while, and then he retires, and the new guy, Festus, comes, and Festus finds out that there's this really unique prisoner that is accused of, like, there's, he's supposed to get put to death, but we can't actually figure out why to put him to death, because there's no real charge other than he's making the Jewish leaders really unhappy. So Festus hears from Paul, and then Festus is trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? Paul wants to have access to the Roman court system. He actually wants to go up to Caesar's court in Rome, which is kind of like the Supreme Court. And, and so he can't let him go or else he'll get killed. He, he doesn't want to kill him because he doesn't know why he would be killing him. And he doesn't know why, like, why am I referring him up to the Supreme Court here to go talk to Caesar's court when it doesn't seem like it matters. Like, what, what is this even about? So picking up that whole storyline, verse 13. A few days later, King Agrippa, another official, arrived with his sister Bernice to pay their respects to Festus, the new guy. During their stay of several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There's a prisoner here, he told him, whose case was left for me by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and Jewish elders pressed charges against him and asked me to condemn him. I pointed out to them that Roman law does not convict people without a trial, they must be given an opportunity to confront their accusers and defend themselves. Well, when his accusers came here for the trial, I didn't delay. I called the case the very next day. I ordered Paul brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about the religion and a dead man named Jesus who Paul insists is alive. I was at a loss to know how to investigate these things. So I asked him whether he would be willing to stand trial for these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to have his case decided by the emperor. So I ordered that he be held in custody until I could arrange to send him to Caesar. So Agrippa, this other official, he says, well, I'd like to hear this man myself. That sounds kind of interesting. Festus replied, you will, tomorrow. So they get everybody together, all the pomp and circumstance, all the, the royal officials you can kind of imagine, they're in some sort of Roman, you know, castle type of a structure, and there's people filling the room with various rankings. And now Paul comes in, a prisoner, and everybody's really interested in, like, what are we going to do with this guy? Um, especially if you look at verse 26, Festus is a little bit worried about referring him to Rome and looking bad because it says, what shall I write to the emperor? There's no clear charge against him. So I have brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that we can examine him, I might, so that I might have something to write. For it makes no sense for me to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. Now, we all know, from kind of having more of the story, what, what were they, I mean, it wasn't that he'd actually committed actual crime here, right? Why did they want him dead and gone? Because every time Paul gave testimony, people started to follow Jesus instead of the leading priests and the Jewish leaders. And so they were, they're willing to do anything it takes to shut this guy up, to get him off, to kill him, to move him out. So they're just excited, anything they can do. So to them, they haven't really even taken that much time to formulate some sort of entrapment or something for Paul. They're just bringing these accusations, saying this guy needs to go. And the more sane-minded Roman leaders who don't exactly have a religious axe to grind here, they're looking at the scenario going... What are you even talking about? You're going to kill a guy? For, you can't even define why you want to. 
Then Agrippa, verse 1 of 26, said to Paul, you may speak in your own defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know that you are an expert on all the Jewish customs and controversies. It's always good to butter up the leaders who are going to judge you, right? We all know that game. Now, please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. Remember how we talked about this last week? Paul was like a model Jewish citizen. He was doing everything right according to the law. He says, if they would admit it, verse 5, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Paul actually had grown up alongside these same people. He probably was on the Sanhedrin or close to that along the narrative of all of this. So these are not like strangers. These are people that have known each other for a long time. They've seen how much Paul's changed. They're the ones bringing the accusation. He says, hey, if they're honest, they know I was serious about all of this. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God day and night, and they share the same hope that I have. Yet, Your Majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? The Pharisees, of which Paul was one, they believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees were a little closer to the actual truth. Their hearts were just in the wrong place along the way. Uh, the Sadducees, who controlled the politics of the situation, they didn't believe the resurrection at all. So to them, the idea that Jesus rose from the dead is crazy, just like anybody rising from the dead would be crazy. And so Paul just kind of brings that up. And he says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus of Nazareth. Indeed, I did just that. In Jerusalem, I authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And when I cast my vote against them, when they were condemned to death, many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Nobody could accuse Paul of not being passionate about being a Jew and following the law, right? So what happened? Well, here's his testimony, verse 12. One day, I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, I was on the road, and a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will." Now, this is a major wake-up call, right? Light from heaven, booming voice. Why are you persecuting me? And you're looking up to heaven going, what, what are you even talking about? I don't even know who you are. It's interesting, the translation of that last phrase when he says it's useless for you to fight against my will, there's actually a uh, kind of an idiom from culture that this is built on. That's why some translations say it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Um, which, as a, whatever, I mean, as an American, I 
don't really know what goads are unless I look it up. So here's what happened back in the day. As they were moving oxen through their field, sometimes that oxen would get stubborn and it wouldn't want to move. And so they had a sharp stick that they'd poke the back of the oxen with to kind of make him, to goad him forward. Um, and on the bottom of the goad, they would put like a little fish hook looking thing so that if the ox decided to kick back, like to kick that stick off of him, it would, it would hurt his leg. So if you, if you kick against the goad, it, you just get hurt worse and you still have to move forward. So it's kind of like Jesus is interrupting Paul here, Saul at that time, and then he changed his name to Paul. Why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Like you're, The harder you resist this, the more it's going to hurt. So listen up. Well, Paul says, verse 15, Who are you, Lord? I asked, and the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you've seen me. Tell them what I will show you in the future. I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. So that would be the Jews and the Romans. Like, I have a plan for you beyond all of that. I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. So then Paul says, that's, that's all I've been doing. I obeyed the vision. I went out, I started preaching it, that people needed to repent of their sins and start living a new life, that they needed to see the truth about who Jesus was. Down toward the bottom of verse 22, he says, I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead, and in this way he would announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane! Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him. They were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. That's that moment when you're like, wait, who's on trial here all of a sudden? So Agrippa noticed that. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. In other words, absolutely, I want you to become a Christian. I want you to see the light that I saw and know the truth that I found. So that, of course, you know, confused the legal system further. He did end up appealing and being able to be sent off to Caesar, uh, and Paul was able to get all the way to Rome. And the, you know, the story concludes there through Acts, and then you have to pick up a little bit even beyond the book of Acts to get the rest of it, because Acts ends before Paul's life ends in the narrative. Um, but what we find is that every time Paul is sort of under pressure like this, he pulls out his testimony. Hey, I don't have to explain all this to you. I'm just going to tell you what happened to me. I don't have to, make, I don't have to prove it to you in some sort of like, let's go through and let me give you evidence for each thing that happened. He just says, here's what I saw. Here's what I experienced. And now I, I can't help it. Like, this changed me. I have to move forward on this new basis in my life. So let's talk about not Paul's testimony for a moment, but yours.
Your testimony is your story of seeing the light. So if you were to imagine in your mind, uh, what were the factors that led you to become a Christian? Those factors are part of your testimony. It's a part of the story of how Jesus impacted you, that changed you, and now you're on a new track. Um, You could also say that your testimony is your answer to the critics and the questioners. It's not the only answer. There's lots of things to learn, and we'll talk about that in the next few weeks of this series when you know, maybe you're talking to someone, they're like, I just don't know if I can believe in God at all. Well, your testimony is, is the first thing. You say, well, here's why I believe in God. Here's what God has done for me. But then after that, obviously, there's going to be more that you get to discuss. So we'll get there. But step one is to realize the power of the story that you already have. You don't have to go to a special class or grow up in Christianity for a long time before you're able to do this. All you have to do is share what you've experienced that's step one. That's your testimony as you being a witness. Um, some of you know I've traveled to India a few times throughout my life, and one of the things that really impressed me about how they train people to follow Jesus, and in India, there's no cultural Christianity. There's no, like a lot of the people don't even have like print Bibles that they could read. All they know is whatever someone shared with them when they became a Christian, and now their life is starting to change Do you know what they say? On day one, their first job is to go out and share their testimony. Like they don't don't know the theology yet. They don't have Bible verses memorized yet. But something has happened to them and their job is go share that. Go tell your friends and family. You actually see that throughout the Gospels when Jesus would do a miracle. Sometimes he would just say, well, hey, just go go tell people. Uh, the, the, The testimony you have of God's power at work in your life is the most important thing the most powerful thing that you'll have to say. Your testimony is your witness to the work of God in your life. Now, sometimes people will say, man, don't, whatever. You know, let's say somebody's getting angry off the handle or something in public. Like, hey, brother, like, don't, don't lose your testimony. Don't ruin your testimony. What do they mean? Well, it's because your testimony is validated by the way you live. So if you're going to stand up and say, Jesus, like I encountered Jesus, he changed me, well, your life has to match that story because if you, if you get up and say that and then you're, whatever, angry or using curse words or whatever just in the very next breath, it negates your testimony. It ruins the storyline. So now suddenly, instead of people seeing like truth and light coming out of your life, you start talking about God and they go, oh, you're just a hypocrite. Like, I know who you really are. You're not living this stuff. So our testimony is, it's the story we start with. That story is validated. The more that Jesus changes our lives, the more we're following him, the more power our testimony has. Uh, And then finally, here's the last one. Your testimony is your most powerful tool in sharing the good news about Jesus. So I start here to encourage you that whenever we start saying like, hey, it's time to share our faith, Time to get into evangelism and missions, and we're going to communicate the gospel to other people. Immediately, a lot of people step back and they say, oh, well, I wouldn't even know what to say. Well, that might be true if you're in a theological debate with someone, but it's not true when it comes to your story, because your story is your story. And so it's as simple as saying, hey, maybe you would say, I don't have the answers to all the questions, but I could tell you what happened to me. And that's step one of sharing your faith, shining your light. Uh, So in in weeks to come, we're going to walk through some of the other steps. But I wanted to start here 
Because if you are a follower of Jesus today, you already have a testimony and you already have everything you need to go out and share it. It's a choice to say, Lord, am I willing to open my mouth and say, hey, I'll be a witness to what I've seen, what I've experienced, what God has taught me, and then I'll share that with other people. So I want to conclude with two questions for you to think about. One is, if you are a Christian today, which you know, I know a lot of you in the room, most of you would say that's what you are, you're a Christian right now. Well, what were the factors that led to you becoming one? Let's start to think about that a little bit. If you'd say, I'm not a Christian yet, like I'm here, so obviously you're thinking about it, but I, I'm not, I haven't really crossed the bridge, here's, here's a question for you to start with, and that is, who is the first person to introduce you to ideas about Jesus or church or God? Uh, like your spiritual journey might be at the very beginning, but you know, what, what is that beginning? How did that start? These two questions can lead you to start knowing how to share your testimony. Um, it's not necessarily that you'll be on trial and sitting there in a witness stand or being a defendant or something in front of a Roman official. That could happen, I guess, but probably this looks a little more like you're at lunch with a friend and you just start talking about some meaningful things in life and you realize you have an opportunity to share some hope with that person based on the hope you've received from God. Or maybe you're in kind of a counseling scenario or some tough family moment and you realize, wait, God has done something in my life. I want to share it with this other person. Uh, it could be somebody at school that you, you see them and you know they're kind of off track and you say, like, I, I want to give them some hope. It's, those are the scenarios when we can shine our light built right into the life we're already living with a story that you already have in your heart because it's your story of how God worked in you. So the first challenge of this series is to simply be a witness to what you have seen and heard and learned about Jesus. In the weeks to come, we'll build on that foundation, we'll put some more meat on the bones, we'll talk about how you open up the Bible and maybe show a person what they need to know about how to believe in Jesus, how to respond to Jesus. But if you can start here with your testimony, you'll already be on track to be saying the most powerful part of the whole story, just like those early disciples did, just like the Apostle Paul did. So I'm going to give you an assignment. In just a second, I'll pray. We'll conclude our time officially but your assignment is to find someone around you, someone you're not related to, you didn't come here with, someone else, and just ask them the first question on the screen. Just see what they say. You'll be hearing a little, a little piece of their testimony. And you say, well, what if I run into somebody who's not a Christian? Well, they'll, they'll say that, and then you ask them the second question on the screen. All right, so that's your assignment as soon as I say amen. Uh, so for now, let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for the example that you gave us in the Bible of the Apostle Paul, um, who he could have brought any kind of sophisticated defense to the table for what he was doing, and, and yet he chose to just share his story of how he encountered you, how he saw the light. Lord, you have called each one of us to be a witness, to give a testimony, uh, to offer light to others. So I pray that you would give us boldness, that you would give us um, understanding, clarity of mind as we do that. 
we recognize, Lord, our world is in just desperate need of hope and light and a better future. And you've, you've given us good news. You've given us the path to transformation and eternal life in the gospel. And we have an opportunity to talk to other people about that. So, Lord, would you help us to be bold witnesses, to be strong witnesses. And as we mentioned, Lord, I pray that you would help us in our lifestyle and our choices uh, to validate our witness by the way that we are really being transformed by you and following you. Uh, so we look forward to the opportunities you might even give us this week to share a little bit of our story with someone else, and maybe the opportunity that will present itself uh, right now before we even leave this room. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.